0: Welcome to Talk Social Studies. You're listening to episode number eight, Breaking Up with Your Lecture, from March 20th, 2017. 2,000 years ago,
1: the proudest boast was Kiwis Romanus Sum. Today, in the world
0: of freedom, the proudest boast is "Ich bin ein Berliner." Welcome to Talking Social Studies. This is the podcast where we talk about social studies and education today. Here you'll find conversations about strategies, resources, ideas, and more, all designed to help today's social studies teachers impact their students. Uh, Let's kick off the introductions. I'm Scott Padway, uh, Technology Tosa in Pleasanton, California, and a former social studies teacher. And you can find me on Twitter at Scott Padway.
2: Hi, everyone. I'm Amy Presley, and I'm a history teacher at Broken Arrow High School near Tulsa, Oklahoma. You can follow the Talking Social Studies podcast on Twitter at T-A-L-K-I-N-S-S. And me, um, I'm at STL in ok.
1: Howdy, I'm Chris Hitchcock. I teach world history for a private online high school affiliated with Indiana University. You can find me on Twitter at chitch94. While you're listening, or after you listen, you can check out the Talking Social Studies website, and you can find that by going to bit.ly backslash TalkingSS.
3: Nice, and hey everybody, I'm the last of the uh, the crew here. My name is Ryan O'Donnell. I'm a technology TOSA, former high school social studies teacher from Rockland, California. You can follow me on the Twitter, at Creative Ed Tech. And I just recently had the opportunity to hang out with Scott. And so we yeah. were talking. Yeah, we, 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 were at a, we were at a technology conference this last weekend down in sunny Palm Springs, uh, the Q Conference, a big tech conference in, here in the West Coast. And uh, it was nice that Scott and I were able to connect. So, uh, And we've met in the past, so we're still waiting to meet you, Amy and Chris.
0: It was quite an opportunity and a great one to see um, some of the work that Ryan's really done in podcasting. I know this is the a new journey for all of us, but he is supposed uh, to be quite the expert on the issue. Well, I, would,
3: I wouldn't say that, but I, 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 <laughs> i've I've, been, I've done some podcasts, but that wouldn't say far from that. But it was fun. We had a, we had this little uh, panel of of different podcasters up there, and it was kind of interesting to be able to see. Uh, you know, we polled the room. How many people are interested in doing their own podcast? It was like eighty percent of people are all like, "I'm ready to get going on my journey."
0: Yeah, it was that's
3: amazing. Cool. Yeah. Well, interesting. Yeah, so hi, everybody. We're back here. Uh, if, you listen, if you've been following our show, uh, we, we're coming back from Episode 7. Episode 7 was myself at another conference. I'm a little bit of a conference junkie, and that's when I was at the California Social Studies Conference and digging around um, uh, there and interviewing and having some conversations with some people. But we decided, our, our team, we wanted to bring it back. And so here we are in Episode 7. Sorry, no, that was Episode 7, Episode 8. And now we're talking about getting rid of lectures, breaking up with lectures. Scott, why did we decide to go with this topic here? Why do, we, why do we say lectures are kind of a thing we need to move away from?
0: Well, you know, right, we're moving into 21st century classrooms and trying to make things student-centered. And, and kids have more, um, more information at the touch of a button at their fingertips. And so we really need to think and rethink what a uh, traditional classroom setting looks like.
3: Yeah, the idea you keep hearing that the smartest person in the room is now the room and that, you know, the idea that we're shifting things. And I think that all of us in education are seeing the idea that the teacher is not the person who was up there, who is I'm the gatekeeper of information and I'm going to tell you what you need to know. We're just there to be able to kind of assist it. But and I think the lectures is is the stalwart that traditional thing, particularly in history classes that we have just been trained to do.
0: Well, not only trained, right, but I've got so much stuff I've got to cover, and um, let me just tell you what happens is, is a very easy way to kind of get there. And, and, you know, people become very tied to lectures, so I'm hoping we haven't lost anybody yet, because uh, I know, you know, teachers out there have spent a lot of time working on their lectures. But, uh, you know, I want to bring this back into uh, something historical. You know, Confucius says that I hear and I forget, I see and I remember, I do, and I understand. And and what we really are looking at doing is we're is we're moving to that do we want to take away some of that you know teacher talk and, and give it to student experiences.
3: I like that. What do you say we need to do? What do you say about the do? I like that. Uh, we need we need more doing in history. We need more doing. Yeah, we need more act, active. Yeah. That's... <laughs>
2: Um, a nice little plug for what comes
3: next. It is, yes. We were just kicking around the ideas of what our next, what the next episode is going to be. We'll talk about that at the end, but it's just a day about being getting students active.
0: Well, so let's dive into segment one and how we make sure kids are learning without, without the lecture. Um, you know, one of the beauties of the shift to the Common Core is that it's a shift to the skills. Um, and it really, you know, encourages us to take the deep dive and, and do things which require students to you know, really interact with um, and critically evaluate a lot of different material. But, you know, that storyline that we have been so familiar with um, starts to take a back seat to those skills. And, you know, before I dive into this too far, I really want to make a, distinguish- a distinction between the idea of lecturing and storytelling, because I think they're very different. Oh, great problem. Uh, and I think, you know, what teachers have the ability to do in the best parts of their lectures and the things that the students hold on to are those stories. Right. I mean, those were the tangents I'd get walking on these bird walks. And The next thing I know, the bell rang and I'm going, oh, man, well, guess what we're going to do tomorrow. We're going to finish all the uh, other boring talk that nobody was really was into. But, you know, we all have such unique experiences that we can bring in. And I think, you know, storytelling is the aspect of those lectures that we really want to keep and maybe moving and outsourcing uh, some of that
3: direct instructional piece. That's a great point. And that's another thing that I never got one tidbit in college, actually telling you how to tell stories or how to be able to, to engage an audience. Like that's some of the stuff that I think is hugely important. Like how you can be able to have those 35 kids have their attention, have them uh, connected to you. And a lot of it is that, you know, know, uh, give of yourself and be able to, like you're saying, tell the story, have hook them.
0: Yeah, I mean, and there, there's a voice component to that, and there's, and there's really a, a kind of a visual piece to it. I mean, you may have some background images to go along with your story, but you're kind of painting a picture. So it moves again from that, you know, here and I forget to at least see and I remember, you know, trying to make something kind of visual in history. I mean, it's, it's got it in the name. It's full of stories, and we all have different ones, and we all have different passions that we can bring in. So really looking at keeping those elements, but let's look at removing some of that other kind of direct instruction. Mm-hmm. And you know two things I like to do to help me with this to just make sure that everyone 's kind of on task um, are using multimedia text sets and, and hyperdocs uh, to do that and The beauty of these um, and i 'll just draw the distinction between a multimedia text set is is literally there 's a document with links and, and some people make them incredibly gorgeous looking uh, with a lot of visuals on there. But the idea is it's it's a flip in the way that you deliver your instruction to kids. So imagine you curating your 10 or 15 favorite links about a topic and giving it to them and asking them a question, not as like a web quest, hey, well, how many of this is this? And you know how many years did this happen? And what happened here? But really giving them a what do you wonder question and forcing them to actually start thinking about this topic, exploring around and coming up with some of their own questions. The beauty of that is if you do it right, you know, you get to float around as a teacher and kind of formatively assess all your students by having conversations with them and pushing them and their thinking a little bit forward. But if you can set up through a digital discussion or or a classroom discussion, you know, that kind of question and answer, well, what were you wondering? And seeing if somebody else um, has answered that, you know, if we read the same document, don't expect, don't, don't be surprised why everyone has the same five questions and nobody wants to share. But if we all read something different, you know, my question may be able to be answered by somebody else in the class. Um, so it's a really flip in the, in the way that we're, we're running our traditional classes.
3: Yeah, I did a fair amount. I really kind of moved my, the packets or the, uh, the homework, you know, the, uh, yeah for the lack of Edward packets you know you would cre- you create your own throughout time and i definitely noticed myself without even realizing it because it, it originally was a lot of the read this and then what was that read this what was that and i think that they become much more um powerful when they started to have more uh depth in the questions they had more choice and for me one of the biggest the, the biggest payoffs was the idea that me holding the kids accountable to be able to go over them the next day in class by read and uh and and me giving feedback to the entire group as, as as I selectively pull some of those examples out. And so it's, so so a lot of you may not be familiar with that multimedia tech set but it's been around for a while though, hasn't it?
0: Yeah. I mean, like I said it's it's not anything that a lot of people haven't been doing. It's it's just the way that you package it and for us it's really about the instructional piece to that and how you facilitate it and use it as an instructional tool um giving everybody an opportunity to interact with all the content. Mm-hmm. Um and I mentioned HyperDocs, which are a whole other topic, but the the real difference between the, the multimedia text set and the HyperDoc is that the pedagogy is built into the HyperDoc. There's an explore and explain and apply, right, where that explore might be what students are doing with the multimedia text set. They're just kind of clicking in links, kind of gathering information about a topic. The explain is your video, your direct instructional piece, um, and then the apply is the show what you know, right? Mm-hmm. That's what students actually get into and, and start creating. And those are some things I like to do to really – you know, keep kids on and, and a way to deliver content without it having to be coming directly from me.
3: Yeah. And there's a lot of conversations It's really popular in the world of hyperdocs, but I would definitely, if you're, if you're really interested in this road, uh, definitely dive in and look a little bit about the difference of what is a multimedia tech set and a hyperdoc, and and how both of them may find a, find a, find a home in your classroom. Yeah, yeah
2: definitely check out the, uh, the show notes because, um, Scott's kind of linked in, um, a couple of examples here that are pretty cool.
0: Just a good way for you to kind of see what the difference is. I know some people just just have a hard time really grasping grasping the difference. Um, but again, it's what you do with the tool, and I think
3: I think we'll continue talking about this as we move uh, move in through the session. let show. Yeah, that's a great point. Like what you said, it's what you do with the tool. Excellent. well, awesome.
2: uh, when we when we started talking about about doing this this segment, I'll be honest with you, I got kind of nervous because I I do feel like I lecture, but you know. Scott, you really kind of, when you drew that definition or that, that difference between storytelling and lecturing, I'm realizing that, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm more of the storyteller. Um, and so I'm feeling a little better about myself now.
3: Okay, uh, good. <laughs> I'm like, this became, I'm like, this became like therapy for me. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um and if my students were listening to this they would totally be laughing at me right now <laughs> uh, but my my kids come to me from a very traditional kind of approach and it's it's not necessarily a bad thing but I teach juniors and seniors so when I I mean there's a lot of times where I pull the rug out from under them and they get really uncomfortable because it's not the the classroom the way they expect um and, and they, they prefer the lectures because they're familiar and they know how to play that game. And I keep changing the rules on them is what makes them uncomfortable.
0: Well, and that's so tough for students, too. I mean, when you look at the, the difference between the younger students that we have coming in, if you start going down to the elementary and the middle schools, um, they're starting to think very differently than the students that were currently graduating out of high schools. And it's very much a game. It's been a game that they've been playing for you know their entire school careers. And, and nobody likes that curveball coming at them.
2: Mm. <laughs> yeah. So these, I mean kids are when I, but yeah, at the same time, when I ask kids from, from previous years, when what do they really remember about class? They talk about the stories, they talk about the oh, experiences yeah. and the simulations. So, you know, you do find yourself consciously making sure that at least, you know, every so often to start with that, you make sure that there's that experience. You make sure that there's that, you know, strategically placed story or interruption or something like that. Um, so you, know, you kind of start from there. The yeah. reality of, are they learning? it boils down to, you know, it's not all that different from activity to lecture to story. Do they get out of it what they need to get out of it? So if you can kind of get back to what's the purpose here and can they see that broader picture? If all that works, we're doing okay. Okay. <laughs> Um, yeah,
3: that, it's, funny, it's funny you mentioned the, the, the hooks or those side conversations. That it reminds me of the – have you ever been with, like, colleagues and when kids would come up and, and, and your colleagues kind of listen, but then the kid mentions one of those crazy, weird stories that you <gasps> talked about, and then you got oh. like, ah, how am I going to explain <laughs> it to the Oh,
2: we have an <laughs> ongoing rule in my classroom that, like – when you tell that story at the dinner table, you have to give the context along with it. Yes, yes.
3: When I would do the Industrial Revolution, I always was talking. There's either story about this dancing Mexican cow, and then but it's just <laughs> everybody talks about like dancing Mexican cow. I'm like, what are you talking about? You're like, oh, trust me, it's something to do with the agriculture that leads to the Industrial Revolution. But it, but it's a long story. <laughs> That's funny. Well,
1: and it's a great way to teach context, which is one of those kind of nebulous yes. ideas that kids don't get. Great so when
2: point, you say- context. Chris and I are both uh, pretty involved with the uh, Teach like a pirate social studies specific group and one of the big things we spend a lot of time networking about is the tangible relatable type learning for kids um, think of it like a, we call them you know life-changing lessons but it's like the magic school bus meets social studies and kids you know you're trying to move away from the traditional the worksheet the lecture you know, uh, the traditional like matchy matchy type activities.
3: Matchy matchy, I like. That. <laughs> I okay, really so let's like. That. That. I mean, we've
2: all had that experience, and you know what I'm talking. about. We've oh. all had that experience where, like, there's that one kid in the classroom who does the vocabulary assignment out of the glossary that's in the other language, and the kid doesn't speak that other language, and they do the entire mm. assignment, mm. and yep. they never pick up on it. And you're like, I've totally
1: good. had that happen.
2: So, um, <laughs> so you try to like include those those kind of. Well, the the dancing Mexican cow moments. Um, so I was thinking about like, okay, where, where are those weird kind of moments? And I, not too long ago, we were talking about um, the era the of exploration and Columbus and the new world. And I pull out that letter that Columbus sends to the king of Spain of, hey, you know, I claim this land and nobody argued. And I just start strutting around the room, wrapping tinfoil around my stomach and, you know, making a tinfoil hat. And I start just, like, gesturing and gibberishly yelling in very dramatic fashions. And I get the kids, and I'm, like, shaking my head and then grab their hands and pumping their hands up and down so we're shaking. (laughs) And I get them to, like, nod their head yes. And I go, like, around the room, and I get five or six kids to do it. And, I I mean, people are staring from that are walking down the hallway because I'm, like, shouting in the classroom. Mm -hmm. So, eventually, I stop, and I become myself again. And I tell the kids, I'm, like, thanks. You know, you can leave your car keys and your donations of your wallets on the (laughs) table on your way out. They're Like, what are you talking about? I'm like, we just had this agreement. They're like, you don't make any sense it's like, exactly. <laughs> of course they didn't argue. They had no idea what this fool was yeah. saying.
0: <laughs> that's funny. Well, that's awesome. Um, I'd love to see a video of that, Amy.
2: I uh, yeah, probably yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is why I, like self like video footage is not allowed. I'm like, my, my kids, like, you're gonna get me fired. That's career goal number one. Never just give it, yeah. on the news. Um it's well, a good well, goal. From that to like, yeah, it, it covers a lot of ground. So we moved from like the crazy Columbus activity to um, instead of like fill out this chart on the Explorers, I have them make like, like trading cards like you would for like baseball. But we do it like WWE style where they have to come up with a theme song and they need like a wrestler name and it all has to like tie into what did this person do. But it's unusual enough that it sticks with them and they can keep, you know, eight, ten people straight. Um, and there's nothing like using Mexican wrestling masks over portraits of a You know, 17th century explorers, it's great. Um, That's awesome. And they get it. And then we move on to that crazy Conquistadora video. If you've never seen that, you need to just YouTube Conquistadora and understand (laughs) it's going to be offensive, but in a great way because it sounds bad, offensive in a great way. But like all the elements of what went wrong with the exploration are totally brought up in Dora. And the kids laugh. They're like, you're ruining our childhood. I'm like, exactly.
1: (laughs) That's my job. (laughs) Uh, yeah,
2: that's my job. I'm like, before we, you know, I'm going to ruin everything that you knew about your childhood. So, but by doing all of that, I feel like I'm okay. I am, am I lecturing in between? Yeah, certainly we're using lecture to kind of connect things together, but they remember the, the key parts. They remember, you know, when they go, my kids could stand up and talk for 10 minutes about, you know, the exploration era and these conquistadors and what went wrong and what are the no, causes and consequences. I mean, sorry. they go on on and gotta... on
3: about it. Cut, I'm watching. I'm, I'm watching Conquistador. This is terrible.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, horrible.
3: I, I, horrible. I got off topic a little bit. She said, "Don't watch it." And I'm like, "That's." I'm gonna watch the thing, of course. And it's yeah, this it looks fantastic. it's 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 it's, it's like horribly wonderful. It is. It? It's horribly wonderful. Wow. Wonderful. Okay, that's a share out moment right there.
2: Better link <laughs> that in the show notes, people.
3: I'm gonna put that in the show notes. Oh. Conquistador are awesome.
2: I got that from an AP Institute, by the way, of all
3: places.
1: (laughs) Awesome. All right. Well, I'm, I'm kind of in a similar boat to Amy, but I'm going to take it back a little bit further. When I first started teaching, I was teaching us history and world history and you know, with all the preparation as Ryan was mentioning, we don't necessarily get training in how to be good storytellers and this and that. well, Before you teach world history, it's not like you get a comprehensive education into world history, nor how to, you know, make it relatable to high school students or younger. Um, So I didn't feel like when I first started that I knew the material well enough to do interesting lectures. And I, you know, I mean, I didn't want to just stand up there and basically give an outline of what was in the book because... I would bore myself not to mention the students.
3: That is 100% everybody's story. That's that's (laughs) spot on.
1: Yep. We've all been there. So my workaround for that was, Oh, these students, I, they, I still need to make sure they know the material and they're working with the material and that kind of thing. But how can I do that in a way where I'm not just standing up there and telling them. So I developed some simulations, some station activities, et cetera, where students could, you know, actually engage with the material and engage with each other, you know, kind of collaborate a bit um, until I could, you know, kind of fake my way through everything. Um, so what I saw was that when students were doing that, when they were engaged in those activities, they were really, they, they were really doing history. You know, they were not just sitting and getting. Um, And one of the other things that I noticed was that some of my students who were kind of not your traditional academically minded students really had skills that shone in some of those activities. Um, And that got some of those kids who necessarily weren't engaged by lectures. I mean, you know, there are some kids that really get into that or find that that works well for them, but some of the students who, you know, weren't really um, I guess the best way to describe it is they weren't confident in their ability, like with history and that kind of thing, that they realized that they had some skills that were useful. Um, so, one of my colleagues had shared all of her, you know, file cabinets, like because this was like the mid 1990s, so it was literally file cabinets full of folders <laughs> of paper, and, you know, books and things like this. And I came across this simulation activity related to the Congress of Vienna. So, I modified it and had the students work in groups representing the different countries. Each country got some background readings, a transparency map of Europe. Again, it was like 1996, people. Um, overhead markers. <laughs> and I basically said, hey, you've got to develop a plan for putting Europe back together again after Napoleon's defeat. Now, the catch was they were going to have to present these plans to all the other countries and who would have a chance to ask questions and you know raise objections and things like that. And so once they did these, once they presented their plans, then they had to go back to their groups and work with their fellow country men and women and adjust their plans based on the feedback they had gotten. And then it was kind of like negotiation free for all. They all had to walk around and go to the different countries and make alliances and kind of try to gather consensus. And sometimes that took quite a while. Um, but some of those kids who, you know, would just be sitting there in class like, oh, when you were doing like more traditional activities, they were wheelers and dealers. Mm. Like they were making the agreements. They were, you know, <laughs> doing the arm twisting and getting people to agree to things. And so it was awesome.
0: Right. Now think how much more powerful those experiences are than them just copying down every word that you put on your PowerPoint.
3: Exactly. Oh, the, the copying of, oh, if I see one more classroom of ki- of a teacher putting the words up and the, and the kids just copying them down, it's like, it's like, it's like dental work. Like I would rather get a root canal.
0: <laughs> well, uh, that, that, that might be a little extreme, but it's, it's pretty close.
1: <laughs> well, the funny thing was that, um, you know, when you get back to the whole thing, like, well, how do you know that the students are actually learning? Well, later in the year when we were talking about world war one and the treaty of versailles the kids were like oh we totally get why it was so hard for them to come up with an agreement that everybody liked because we did that congress of vienna simulation they're like it's just like this and so they i mean how many if you're just taking notes on the congress of vienna are you really going to remember that much about it yeah no joke i mean you know the congress of vienna is not necessarily like the most exciting thing that ever happened
3: But the problem is I think that so many history teachers just have a hard time letting go of the idea that they feel that every, all of the content is so essential because it's something – I mean, they're so connected to these, to, to treaties and wars and to battles and to people and to places and events, and they don't want to let any of them go. So they feel like all we want to do is cover and that's what I'm hopefully we can change to realize that the kids don't get it because we cover it. The reason they get it is because when people like history as adults, they don't like it as kids. Why do they like it as adults is because they dive deep, right? I think as history teachers, don't you always bump into people and go, oh, you teach history? Oh, man, I sucked at it as kids. I hated that class. Like, But now I love this and I'm reading that book. It's because they dive into it and they found their passion. So how can we be able to funnel some of that here to these to these kids? In every
1: a- open house, the parents would always yeah. say that. I hated history when
0: I was a student, yeah. but now I oh, love it. Yeah. Well, no, and those are the same people that never get to the end, right? They're always rushing, and it's like, oh, man, I didn't – we stopped before Vietnam this year because I just yeah. – I couldn't, I couldn't make it, right? Yeah. And, and so, again, yeah, it's, it's finding the opportunities to take the deep dive. I mean, you can get, you can get the basic storyline in a very short amount of time. But having the ability and the skills to to really take that deep dive and find what people's interests are, because everyone has different histories and everyone has different you know connections to different elements in history, and there's so much uh, that you'll never get to the end unless unless you just you know decide to hey
1: yeah exactly
3: yeah well awesome well great shares everybody I think is it my turn now I need to jump in here.
1: Show notes do I this so? in,
3: in the show notes. I've shared a picture here and, she, and she's totally okay with it, but I wanted to share a picture of my daughter. Uh, and I put a picture in here. This is from here from her from last year in sixth grade. And she had the opportunity, the teacher had all the kids present on sort of a passion project. And my daughter loves owls like crazy. And I sat, I was able to be able to watch her in class and I sat in the back. And I'm, as I'm sitting there, watching her, she's, she's got her PowerPoint slide and she's talking interesting facts about owls. And I'm sitting back there filming her. I wanted to like record this, and I'm sitting there watching. I'm like, Rachel, turn around, look your audience, look them in the eyes, tell a story, <laughs> get them into it. And it's like, <laughs> oh, and you know what she did, guys? What did she do? She she turned. Oh, she
2: around. read right off
3: that PowerPoint. Yeah, she turned oh. around, read, read read right off that PowerPoint. And I'm like, oh my gosh, the kid before he was like a scuba diver kid, and he bared, and he had just had a picture up that he was talking about. I'm like, that kid killed it. That guy was going crazy on scuba diving. Like, and I'm like, <laughs> but the problem is, is that we train. I mean, it's just. We're bred this way. We're bred to be able to say, if I struggle with my content, I struggle with the ability of even public speaking. Don't worry about it. We got these amazing things that can help you. It's called index cards. It's called PowerPoint. It's called whatever. And, and, and we fall on those crutches, but then, we, but then we learn to stay on those crutches. And I think that's the biggest thing we got to be able to break up with. And I saw a quote a while back from the um, CEO of Zappos. And this thing just kind of resonates with me. And he says, he says, Bring, I, want you to, I want you to double the passion and half your content. And in order to do that, I want you to ignite discussion, and don't replace it. And when I was teaching AP World, I felt like so many times there'd be conversations, and I felt like I gotta pause this and move forward because I gotta, I gotta get to the next thing. And like Scott was just mentioning that thing, that thing. I think I don't feel like I did a disservice to the kids when I used to teach, but I feel like, gosh, my, I never got to all my content. And for all of you like history teachers who are just beginning. And you're like, hey, I'll check out this podcast. Here's a, hint. Here's, here's a tip for you. You will never get to all of your content. Never. Oh, man.
0: <laughs> I used to show uh, America the story of us in my history classes because it was my way to, all right, look, we've covered the storyline from this period, right? And it, But it created those, like, just the, just enough context and historical thinking kind of things to, to get students to really kind of understand that period so they could start exploring those other stories that aren't told, right? Mm-hmm. But, you know, Ryan, I want to just mention, you know, with the, with your daughter's thing, uh, you mentioned that we're bred like this, but, I mean, that's that's part of We can't ask the students to do the same thing that we don't want ourselves to do, right? We can't just completely outsource the lecture and say, hey, all right, you guys take this chapter and uh, you're going to do a presentation on this. I mean, we got to be a little bit more explicit on what we're expecting and, and whether, you know, if we want the, the, the heavy text piece to that, Let's have them write something about it, but let's have them create something that's engaging and visual for everybody, whether it's a video or whether it's a map. I mean, there's so much stuff out there and so many tools at our disposal to show what we know that we've got to stop asking students to just do exactly the same thing that we're trying to get away from.
3: Yeah, for sure. Exactly. Great. Well, I'm how gonna, many and of that, us yeah. go in and sit in on
2: like, I mean, how many of us have gone to the meeting where you're like, you just read that PowerPoint to me and you could have sent me the rest of an email?
3: Mm -hmm.
0: it's the same story with those staff meetings you know it's like let's just save everybody's time and if you need to you know deliver it this way write it up send me an email tell me to read it and have me do
3: something with it when i show up that's the thing do something that's the same thing we want with our kids do something with the content
1: right do we really need to sit and prove that we can comprehend being read to (laughs) hopefully at this point we've (laughs) demonstrated skill at that
2: I think I passed yeah. that third grade reading test a while
1: ago. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
3: And so in the show notes I got, if you guys are in there, you could see, I got the two pictures of two famous teachers from movies. And, I ask, and I'm and i asking you, which teacher do you want to be? Do you want to be the Ferris Bueller teacher, Ben Stein? Or do anyone? you want? Oh yeah, the anyone, the mo- that <laughs> right. classic Bueller. teacher. And if you can remember, all the kids in the class were just bored out of their skull. Right? And he's just sitting there. Now what's interesting, he's trying to do some questioning strategies. Right? He's asking mm-hmm. about supply-side economics. Right, supply anyone, supply side, supply side, and it's like, okay, his question strategies are terrible. But the guy we really want to be, the teacher we really want to hope for, is Dead Poet Society, right? When you know the character that Robin Williams plays is this yeah. is this guy. He says, like we just talked about the content, right? Remember what he says? He says, "Rip the pages out of the book," and the kids are like, "What?" And I'm not advocating any of you <laughs> to destroy your school property, but. The idea we want to we want to be this. We want to inspire kids. You want kids to walk out of your class. Or how about this? Let's not even inspire them. Let's make them not walk out of the class at the end of the year. And say, what was your worst class when the kids talk at, you know, they go, oh, my history class sucked. It was the worst class. I hated that class. Like, if we could just, if we could just set that the bar, just don't suck that bad. If we could just be up <laughs> a little bit higher. I would love for us to inspire and motivate. Don't be the least favorite. <laughs> don't be the yeah. least favorite. Yes.
2: Well, wasn't yeah. that our, uh, didn't we, was it episode one or two where we were a
3: <laughs> Yeah, suck less. Suck <laughs> less. We're,
2: we're working on it. We're not
3: sucking as right. much anymore. Yeah. And it's so, the bar yeah. But that dead poet's character,
0: too. I mean, we're talking about a no-tech classroom, right? I Mm -hmm. mean, the strategies that we're doing, they're they're just shifts in the way that we deliver and the expectations that we have for our kids.
3: Mm -hmm. And in my role that I'm at now, I'm a technology toast, and people are like, hey, what's the next great tech this? And some of them are anti-tech, and I feel like all I'm doing is either advocating tech and defending tech. And Scott, you're spot on. It is not about that at all. And so when you're thinking about what is the tool that you should use I don't care. I don't care if it's PowerPoint or slides or Keynote or Prezi. Well, I do care if it's Prezi because Prezi sucks. Sorry, sorry down. Prezi. Sorry. <laughs> it's just my personal opinion. But any and it doesn't have to be any of those tools. You could sit there and just tell a story with your with your words, with your inflection. So it's not a, necessarily what you use, it's how you use it. And so I got four tips in this session. Those four tips are basically make Here's the crazy part. It's like uh, I I'm I, our, our plan was to how to break up with lectures i'm telling you don't break up with lectures sorry my point is make your lectures better or make your lectures interactive because i think there's still always going to be and amy you said you felt bad because like you know you were like wait a second of course, because of course there's always going to be direct instruction and that direct instruction isn't necessarily just the instructions to go to this or to this sometimes you're going to be given instructions so i got four kind of tips to be able to help make your um make your lectures interactive. I got a link on here as well that you can check out to be able to find some more examples. But my first one is really, we talked about primary sources before. That is driving everything from college board to common core. It is primary sources. It's what kids diving in. So then you dive in with that. And I put a screenshot here in the show notes. And what I have here is on the top two was examples of my old PowerPoint on World War I, in which I had slide number one was a militarism with bullet points. What is militarism? And then slide number two, alliances. Now, every teacher asks questions. And so we would do that whole, um, uh, uh, w- w- you know, hey, kids, what were the causes of World War I? And we talk about, hey, there's that acronym Maine, MAIN, M-A-I-N. And so what I, what, what I hated was a kid, I would say, hey, who can give me a cause of World War I? And the kid goes, oh, pride, they, they, they had all this nationalism. And I would say, oh, awesome idea. You got to wait three slides until I get to that. Like, <laughs> God, that is awful. That is horrible, right? In terms of good conversations, like I mentioned before, if I want to be able to ignite some conversations, I want to run with that. And so like we said, no tech, let's have just a whiteboard. Great, tell me about nationalism. Let's have conversations about nationalism. And so below is when I had a big shift and it was because of a program, but I don't want to necessarily give it too much credit because I got a smart board in my class. And that smart board, I remember somebody who was giving me the training said, basically, guys, it's not about the smart board. You're getting a program, that smart notebook, and it's even not the program, but it really sort of shifts you and tells you, I'm not going to make a slide and a slide and a slide. And so what I have below then is what I did is my exact same lesson in one, I don't even want to call it a slide, but in one screen. And what I have basically is the words militarism, alliance, imperialism, and nationalism. And then off on the side is I have different primary sources. And they're all tabs. And you can't see them. So I would have kids come up and randomly, they'd pick a tab or they pull one of these over. And then, then out comes a, a political cartoon or, an, or, or a painting or a picture, even an audio. We'd listen to some clips. And then the kid then, I have to have a conversation. Now tell me, is this thing this picture that you see of the Kaiser carrying his gun up a hill to warn barbarism is this militarism, alliance, imperialism, or nationalism? And I can change the, the kind of questions that I ask. I can do that in small groups. Hey, guys, turn to your uh, elbow partner or bring one kid up, and we can change that with whatever fits in your classroom. But that entire World War, that entire ca- uh, causes of World War I lecture that used to be six, seven, eight, nine, ten, whatever, how many slides is now one thing. And every period is different because they pull them in different ways. Every conversation is different because some kids are well-versed and other ones struggle. And I find myself that I even move my place. I sit in the back of the room or I sit off to the side and the kids are up there. And it was like that was the epiphany for me. And I can't tell you enough, folks, uh, if you don't know what to do, lean on what Scott mentioned before, the primary sources and images. There's such a wealth of stuff that can drive those conversations.
0: Yeah, I mean that's awesome. Just the interaction that you can get, and there's so many ways to design opportunities like what you're showing, whether you're using you know the tools you you have out there or not. But it's just it's a flip of that delivery. I mean that's that's what we're doing.
3: That's that's all that it is. Yeah. Don't and so don't think that necessarily you got to copy one person or another. And even as you're listening to this podcast, you're saying, "Hey, I want to, I want a, I want an exact way to do that." There is no recipe. You know, there are examples that you can that that you can take from. But like what we're saying is. It, You've been given the curriculum you need to teach, but no one is telling you how to design those particular lessons. And so we're going to get to in the second half about how we can be able to look look for places to be able to get to those. But yeah, I would say dive into that one. And I just want to quickly run through my other two uh, points here is one, um, uh, don't go longer than 20 minutes without a change. Right And 20s probably even too far, too. Some teachers go every five minutes. But, but plan changes. And that changes could be anything from, hey, turn to your neighbor and have a conversation or write something or do something. I'm a big fan of getting kids up and moving. Now, that definitely means you need to be, work on your transitions. If you're going to get kids up, you got to be, really be able to bring them back and be able to have them refocus. And then the last uh, part is those kinds of questions. Let's not be the Ben Stein character in Ferris Bueller's. What are the kinds of questions that you're asking? And you can do it in many different ways. And I threw an example here about how do you can use a graphic organizer as a way to be able to even do a lecture. And this graphic organizer is a Venn diagram that I did in Google Slides, but instead of them filling them in, each one comes up animated and then the kids are prompted as every single one comes up. Is this an example of communism or fascism or both each, each of the uh, examples comes up, the kids have conversation and then it's animated to go in the place that it's supposed to. And there's lots of different ways, again, whole group, small group individual in which that you can be able to drive these conversations. But um, definitely look into the, my my point in all of this, and I'm kind of going fast here, but it's the think about your lesson design. It's
0: all about lesson design. Awesome.
3: This is great guys. I'm inspired all over again. It's cre- it, 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 These <laughs> things are so much fun. And so I, l- l- let's wrap up this first session about what we're doing. And now let's talk about where, and this was about where we go for inspiration for, if, if you want some of those non lecture ideas, Scott, let's have you kick it off.
0: Yeah. So, uh, you know, I recently watched a Ted talk from a few years ago, um, never give a boring lecture again. And, and Gar Reynolds does a really fantastic job of just kind of outlining and, and talking about some ways to, um, you know, not fall victim to the monotony of the way that we're we're you know the drill and kill of okay here's everything that you need to know. Um, so it's a great it's a great about ten minute video for you to watch. But uh, I got to tell you, man, there's a wealth of stuff on YouTube. So I want to think about it in three three ideas. Right, curate, customize, and create. So what is it that you can go out and you can curate uh, and that you can find that's already been done? And there's some fantastic YouTube channels. I mean, a lot of us have seen the Crash Course videos. Uh, Schmup has a lot of videos you might find another teacher that's creating some videos that you like and so can you curate those to go along um, for maybe some of that teacher talk time that direct instruction that you're like i need to cover these materials well you know maybe john green does it in 10 minutes and the reality is as much work as you put into your notes you just can't compete with some of the content that's already being created so can you curate those in a youtube playlist to go along Uh, and again you give that to the students to watch it frees you up for the first 10 minutes whether you're, you know, taking a role and doing some of the housekeeping things, whether they're all watching it individually and you're just kind of floating around uh, having conversations with kids, I mean, it really turns your classroom into a place where everyone can be in the front of the room.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh, and, like, and like you were saying before too, that the, you give instructions with that. We often we often lean on a crutch of videos. Watch this video. Hey, what do you guys think? Like, have something to do or prompts to be able to go along with it or reflections happen afterwards.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it's not. It shouldn't be something that it should play a role into your course. And I mean, there's a lot of people who flip, I gotta say, I'm not a huge fan of the entire flip model. I mean, I don't mind the idea of going home and watching a short little video to get you thinking about really the historical, you know, context uh, of these things. But if, if kids come in with just a little bit of background knowledge, it it starts off your class with an ability to have a discussion, even if you start your class watching these. So can you find those um, and curate them in, in a way that works? But if you can't find things that work exactly for you, maybe you can customize them and use like a tool, something like Edpuzzle, to again take away some of the stuff that you need to talk about. And I've got a link to Edpuzzle and I've got two examples of using Edpuzzle. One uh, is just the Gilded Age Elections and it's a clip from Gangs in New York uh, with a few of my own teacher comments in there just kind of prompting kids as we're going through and a question about the end after watching, you know, just a very short one minute clip. The other one I have is just is ten seconds. I love it. It's the Divine Right of Kings, and it's, I mean, you want to talk about Divine Right? Well, hey, here is a cropped clip from the Sword and the Stone, right? And just when Arthur's out there reaching for the sword, and the light comes on, the angels are singing, and you know they say it right there, ordained by God. You know, this kid is our king. Um, but how much more powerful is that? Uh, something very short and easy to to, to cover a concept in, in a way that removes me of having to explain it to everybody uh, and gives them a real visual and something that's kind of fun. Mm-hmm.
1: I love Edpuzzle.
0: Oh, man, there's so much. And, you know, the connection to Google Classroom, and you can even ask questions in Edpuzzle. And, and there's a lot of, you know, accountability pieces that, that you can really <laughs> dive into with them. Uh, and then the last,
3: real fast, there's some times that I feel like, gosh, I wish I would have stayed in the class. I'm at, I've been out of class for, <laughs> for two years. I'm like, gosh, the Ed Puzzle thing is just so cool. Like, I don't want to date myself, but I mean, I mean, I've been techie for a while. I had a VCR attached to my computer. and I had this crazy key thing and I was recording VHS tapes into the computer and crip, uh, cropping them and clipping them up. And now you see here, and you're like, God, it's that easy to just get the sword and the stone thing. Like, oh my God. Yeah, <laughs> fantastic. That, I, I watched that 10 second clip you did there and the, the light shines down and it says you've been you know it's a miracle like yes okay i see it and the bet who's crazy about history is when all those kids come back you know later that week later that month or years from now and they say oh my god i saw i was watching this video i saw this movie and oh it reminded me of that thing we talked about like god oh, that's it mm-hmm. yeah. that's what we want to do
0: and it's so easy now i mean you hit it you hit it on the head and the and the way that, I mean, we're just talking about people individually new stuff, but gosh, you start collaborating with somebody, you probably can go out and find a YouTube playlist that's already been curated. I mean, find videos that have been created by people. And, that, and that's the last one I want to talk about. If you can't find something that meets your needs, can you create something? Whether you're using Screencastify, whether you're using YouTube Capture, um, you know, again, I'm not saying let's just record your entire lecture and send the kids home to go watch it. But if you need to, you know... Cast elements. I mean, do a very short video, and again, it empowers the kids. It gives them the opportunity to watch it. Uh, they can watch it on demand if they're absent. They don't miss it. I mean, there's so much to do with that. And I got to tell you, lecturing is one of the most labor-intensive things you'll do all day. Oh, I mean, if damn. you lecture, oh, like kick you in the pants. First <laughs> period, second period, third period, fourth period, fifth period, sixth period. At the end of the day, you put a bunch of people to sleep. Your throat sore. And then what people do hold on to were those stories. But because you told too many stories, you got to finish your lecture up tomorrow. Yeah. I mean, and, and then you haven't even gotten anything to, you know, you've done no great. You've done nothing. Um, and, and so really looking at trying to just limit that repetition, you know, we're too highly skilled to just be
3: a robot all day. Yeah. Great points. Great points there. That's awesome.
2: I'll be Go. honest with you. I, um, you know, with the, the flip part of it, I've done some flipping, but I've used it more for like remote teaching when i'm gonna be out like if I know if I've got a planned absence, I'll do the recorded directions and I'll like run through like you know the the sample of the activity and then put it on my kids use canvas, so I'll have it a link to their their canvas calendar and so like my notes for the sub are the kids have what they need mm-hmm. and th- my sub's there to take attendance and you know okay bathroom breaks and the kids like they yeah. hit the ground running they know what to do
3: that's a great example yeah you guys we, have, we just talked about you in the classroom but think about your subs when you have a sub plan there's a lot of great things you can do with sub plans you can you can not literally be there but you can virtually be there and really kind of be able to help tailor those classes yeah you I mean you write with sub a lot plans of these tools for the, for the students yeah awesome you got
2: to watch out for like that we're so connected now like I I stepped into a hole where um, I had a kid send me a message while I was at a conference. that says like, you know, I need to run to the counselor for something or whatever. The sub said, ask you if it's okay. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, did you get the assignment done? And if the answer is yes, then I'm okay with it. The subs okay with it. Well, apparently they hadn't checked with the sub first. They were, That's you funny. Know. so you got to watch that because that was, that did not go over well. Yeah. I got, yeah. I got kind of reprimanded about that.
3: That's funny. Um, hey, so Amy, you talked you were going to talk about Twitter here. That's your go-to place.
2: Yeah, I'll be honest with you, Um, it wasn't at first, but over the last few years as I've kind of grown my PLN through Twitter and I've gotten involved in some more like subject specific or content specific um, chats, I've, or or even just gotten to know a few other people well, when I, instead of like the Google search for something that's already been created, I'll be like, hey, I've got this idea, I kind of want to go this direction, but I'm not quite sure how I've put it together. I'll tag a few people and I'll tag a chat. And usually within about 10 minutes, I get a response of, Hey, you should check this out. Or, Hey, you know, have you thought about, you know, this or whatever. And it's just that hive kind of mentality. It's Twitter changed my life. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Really? I mean, like, I'll be honest with you. I I feel guilty because you like your, your supervisor comes in. They're like, this is great. I'm like, yeah, thanks. It's not mine. Um, (laughs) But it's beyond that, though. I mean, my kind of like specific sites. I love the the History Alive stuff with the Teachers Curriculum Institute, and I love the Stanford History Education Group because they both kind of they get the kids doing stuff more. Um, and quite often, I'll be honest with you, the I, I teach world history, and the TCI stuff, their History Alive stuff for world history is game. You know, kind of aimed towards middle school kids, like seventh graders, and I teach eleventh graders. And so there's a few times where my kids are like, "Yeah, ain't happening." Um, you know, like that's too baby but you can at least like it's a starting place where but I bet in. they love
0: that trench warfare and throwing
2: uh the paper wads they, the they paper really kind of do they they yeah. do um but you know you can take some of, some of their stuff you take like the um they had a really great Joan of Arc thing where it's just like an outline of of Joan in her in her armor but she's a Janus figure where she's like got the two faces that are facing away and you have the kids fold the page in half, so she's got this like seam down her middle, and they do the English perception and the French perception, and it's so simple. But you know what? Eleventh grade kids really get a kick out of doing a coloring activity.
3: They do. Oh my god, they,
2: like, love it! And it's just well, because Plato. Ch- Plato
3: Bo- <laughs>
2: yeah. with high school seniors, they go nuts. Oh. They're like, "Oh my gosh, my childhood." <laughs>
3: <laughs> go, go to any Barnes and Noble. You now see popular sections of adult coloring, right? It calms, it soothes. I put, I just search, if you guys know how to do a Google search for, for images, you can modify them. And I would, t- whatever subject I'm doing on my packet or whatever I'm, I'm sending out, I put on the back a, a coloring page of something from that era. And so in Google, I would just say World War One, you know, trench warfare and say search by, and then you can change to, um, um, line drawing and you'll often find some, some fantastic stuff out there. So search for oh, characters. So cool. Yeah. And so you can find tons of them. And if, actually what I'll do is I put a whole bunch of phenomenal ones in a folder, I'll put that in our show notes that have just all these historical line drawing kind of things. And I just throw them on there. And I tell the kids from the very beginning, these are not homework. It's just there. If you feel like you're working or listening or doing whatever, and you want to be able to just doodle a little bit, I can't tell you that so many kids just found that very enjoyable.
0: Wait a second! I'm doing a search right now. I've searched by color. I've done a ton of searches, but by line drawing.
2: Yeah, I've done like the coloring type? book oh, one. My no, gosh! I never thought it's about right line there.
0: drawing. Oh yeah! Wow! <laughs> wow. <laughs> <Did>
2: <laughs> see, this is why. Okay, I don't care what other people get out of this this podcasting <laughs> thing, but I love the stuff that I get from <laughs> you. Exactly.
3: So here what we you go. do. Just this is...
0: break up with your lecture, and we're making coloring, book. <laughs> coloring yeah, books? Coloring books and line watches, drawings yeah. for each unit. But um, I mean, imagine the story that I would tell at the end too. You could do, yeah. Gosh, that's cool.
3: Super this. cool. Super cool. Hey, and real fast, I, 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 Amy went mentioned the Twitter thing up there, and we all go look at Twitter, and ninety five percent of people go to Twitter and lurk. And she mentioned the idea of that ask, and that's a rare thing to do. But I'm telling you, folks, if you ask, you you, you may get some nuggets that come back. But the problem that sometimes when people ask. It just goes away, they ask something, and they don 't get anything, partly because many of these people don 't necessarily have a giant uh um, community their connections they don 't have a huge broad connections. so you 're going to want to be able to try ask a question, but tag a few people trust me you 're not going to nag them or bug them. If you got some questions, hey does anybody have some ideas I'm doing something on trench warfare I do the the the, the news uh, the little the balls thing and you throw them but I'm looking for something else and then if you tag some people they're going to respond now here's the thing I'm going to volunteer all of us tag us and we may have something or we may not have something, but we are going to reach out to others okay to oh, be able we'll be able to, to
2: parry up with somebody like I may not know but man we can find a person who does know yeah
3: Absolutely. and all you do is ask the question and then put our names or other people's names on there and trust me people the uh, it's, it's human nature to, to, to enjoy helping and people will help out.
1: Yep, totally agree. So I, I agree with Amy about getting great ideas from Twitter and I'm going to throw in conferences and I know that that's not always feasible for people like to go to like the National Council for the Social Studies because it's in San Francisco or it's in Washington, D.C. or it's in New Orleans and it's not close to you and, you know, we all know that education funding is not necessarily plentiful, um, let alone for things like conferences um but i i mean i taught for three years before i actually attended a state conference and um when i moved to new york one of my colleagues said oh you know the social studies conference in new york is great it happens in march which is like the longest month ever um and it was amazing i mean i learned so much and met the you know, great people got great ideas for lessons and activities and resources and things. So it was just one of those, you know, getting close to the end of the year, kind of energizing some new ideas type of thing. Um, but even if you like if you, you know, so check out your state social studies conferences or your state social studies councils to see when their conferences are, because, you know, that may be something that's more doable as far as like where it is. Um but then there's also Ed Camps.
3: Oh yeah. Know, ch- camp. Which
1: are free. So I mean, you know, th- I I think there is, oh geez, I'll have to find it and put it in the show notes, but I want to say there's some kind of calendar of EdCamps that, you know, keeps track there of is, where
2: um Yeah. Yeah, there's a there's a total count and you can even um well on Twitter you just go to like EdCamp Right uh, hashtag and ed. they usually I think it's linked to their their like you just do at edcamp and I think it's linked to their um oh, like to their the bio. descriptor. their bio. And, but even um, you can do a Google search egg camp calendar and you can search, you pull it down like by state and you can even go by city. I mean, I, Mm -hmm. I love egg camps. Um, That was when we moved from St. Louis to Oklahoma and I knew like nobody. Um, One of the first things I did was get involved in the egg camps around here. Um, And strangely enough, I ran into a couple people I knew through the social studies chat and the national social studies conference um, that hooked me up. And within, Oh God, I mean, I was here not even six weeks. And I suddenly, I, I, I know people all across the state. I talk to them regularly. It's amazing how connected you get that quickly. And they are, and it's a Saturday who gives up their Saturday, but the people who want to be there.
0: Right. Yeah. No, and I, it's, and, sorry. No, I mean, there's so, there's so much out there and those ed camps are totally personalized for, you know, what you want to talk about. I mean, you, have a smorgasbord of topics and just it's, you know, a collective knowledge and just kind of a real unconference and opportunity to just chat with people about what you're interested in. Yeah. It's the yeah. power chat.
1: And yeah. And just like that personal connection thing um, and building like your own network. Um, one of the other things I was going to suggest is check your state. Like, I don't know in Indiana, we have the department of e-learning within the, uh, the state department of education. And in the summer they I mean, this hap- they plan for this all year, but in the summer they have something called the summer of e-learning. And it's like two or three day, um, almost like little conferences um, that are relatively inexpensive for something like that. Um, and you usually get like your professional growth points, you know, that you can put toward renewing your teaching license, but they're great because they just have all these sessions and you can go and there are people from your state. They usually have some good keynote speakers like Dave Burgess was at one that I was at last, uh, last summer. And, you know, it's really, it's, you know, affordable, but it's great. And these were, you know, like tech centered, but, you know, I learned about some resources that I didn't know much about. And I taught other people about some resources that they didn't know about. And I mean, so it's just a great opportunity to share ideas and, you know, just talk about teaching with other teachers who are giving up, you know, two days of their summer to go to Mm -hmm. something like this that are equally passionate.
0: And today there's also, I mean, you mentioned earlier people who can't make it to these conferences and these events, but there's so much available online and organizations that are putting on, Webinars and things that, if you just kind of search a little bit for, I mean, textbook publishers, whoever it is, but you can find some really fantastic professional development opportunities or keynotes from conferences that you can watch in the comfort of your
3: own bed if you wanted to. Fantastic, great conversations, very cool. All right, I think it's my turn. I just got one. I got one cool, and you already you already mentioned the person before. I think it was Scott. You mentioned uh gar reynolds and um i mentioned in a book which is called presentation zen which i bought twice i bought his first edition and then he redid it and then the second one was like a little bit more education focused and i bought that uh and it's just i i think there's so much power to learn from outside of education and so how to be a better presenter how to be i mean i i get inspired by stand-up comics like how can you be there and be able to just get somebody Hey, it's Chicago, but three days later, you're going to be in Cleveland and everybody there feels, if you're awesome, they feel like that you are connected to Cleveland or you're connected to Chicago and you, and they're sitting there. And like we mentioned from the very beginning, it's, they're telling stories. And this book presentation Zen is really a focus on that, but how you can really kind of master the idea uh, of connecting uh, when you're in front of people. And he does a lot too about that visual literacy. And there's this quote he says, it says, today we need a higher degree of visual literacy and understanding of the great power that imagery has for conveying important messages. And I think that I would task any of you who really want to be uh, to to excel in front of the classroom is be able to look outside necessarily just uh, the walls of education.
0: Awesome. I'm going to have to check that book out, Ryan. I I did not know. Um, I just stumbled on that Ted talk, but uh, I I would imagine it's full of quality stuff.
3: Good stuff. Yeah.
0: Um, Well, uh, let's move on to segment three social studies today. I'm going to be lame and just pass the buck off here. (laughs) <laughs> uh, to Amy because I did not do my homework.
2: Okay. <laughs> well, we were um, putting together the show notes, you know, it's, you know, being March and women's history month, there's always been all kinds of stuff across your feed, you know, as history teachers, that stuff comes up all the time. But what was interesting was there was, and again, I still get stuff updated from St. Louis from growing up there. There was a newspaper article um, from them, but it was interesting because the article was from the Washington post. And I was like, well, that's different. What's going on? And um, the article is all about how the local newspaper, the Post Dispatch, had said that this female who had been running for the mayoral office uh, needed a dose of humility. And what was interesting about the article, and they have a copy of the article, um, it's an editorial, but it's just kind of like this finger waving, kind of, she needed to be more humble. But she came within two percentage points of making history by being the first female mayor of this fairly large city because she like was not humble because she was willing to stand up and kind of boldly diss not only the establishment that was there, but this newspaper in particular. And I thought like with the kind of the current political climate um, and and the whole Women's History Month and all that stuff, it was an interesting article and that how they portrayed her and then how the like how the local newspaper portrayed her and then how this outside washington post article portrayed her very differently
3: interesting huh
1: yeah that gets into a whole lot of stuff because i read that article after you posted it earlier today and i was just <laughs> yeah like, it was it was
2: yeah lots <laughs> of stuff stuff like, wow but i thought yeah. it'd be a great tool with the kids of showing like how just You know, sometimes you can be so close to the issue that sometimes that primary source can be incredibly biased. And when you take a step back, you get a broader picture. mean, we we push the primary source on kids so much, but they need to understand the pitfalls of it too.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Constantly fighting that battle with one. Yeah.
3: yeah. Right. Well. awesome, um, Awesome. Share, Chris. What do you got? Yeah.
1: Um, uh, earlier, I think it was this week, I came across an article from the week, probably got linked to it on Twitter or something, um, with, uh, that identifies 15 English words that developed from Arabic words, which mm-hmm. I thought was interesting. And, you know, that's definitely, you know, one of the things we look at with the development of Islam and just the, you know, the influence of Arabic as a language that spreads, uh, partly with the spread of Islam. And so I was like, oh, well, I didn't, I mean, I knew there were some like algebra I was kind of aware of that had come from Arabic.
3: And, and I thought I thought it wasn't salt uh, originally, and that's where salary comes from.
1: Oh, yeah. I don't I don't know if it was from Arabic, but yeah, I've heard that. I didn't know. I, I thought maybe that was more Latin or Greek, okay. but I don't know that for sure. Um, I am not an etymo- etymologist, not the entom- entomology. That's the bug stuff, right? <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> not super high verbals on the SAT. Sorry. Um but yeah, um, so anyway, like the word zero... Has its basis in Arabic, uh, so I guess like the Italian mathematician that some of us have heard about Fibonacci from, like Fibonacci numbers or Fibonacci sequence or series or whatever. Don't teach math, obviously, um, but he took this Arabic word that means nothing, s i f r cipher. I'm not sure how to pronounce it, and he changed it to zephirum, and then over time that gradually got shortened to zero, and then you know words like sofa, mattress, sugar, candy. These all have their roots in Arabic, which I just thought was really cool and thought that would be a fun thing to share with students.
3: That's a good one. Awesome. Yeah, they like this. those little hooks. That's fantastic. And, and mine's something similar along with yours, too. I just saw a great article on the, uh, like you're saying, just browsing the feed, and I saw a thing from Nat, Nat Geo, and it's called The Journey of Humankind, How Money Made Us Op- Modern. And we, you know, we always talk about those those characteristics of civilization. You know, you know, people living together, and then they started writing and all those kind of things. But the idea about money was really kind of interesting. I love, I love the tagline: Civilization existed before money, but probably wouldn't have gotten very far without it. <laughs> yeah, we focus on money all the time. It goes all the way back to the Mesopotamians and sort of the evolution of uh, the evolution of what money really is and and how it really kind of led to the development of so much. Interesting. Very cool. Yeah. Great, great share-outs, everybody. Fun show as always. Yeah. yeah. So, what do you want to do next? What was the what's the plans?
2: Well, I think we ought to continue this feed about you know like breaking up with lecture and, and some ideas to help make that um, that easier. So, we kind of talked before we uh, got started about kind of helping um, helping kids become more historically active, more doing of the history stuff as a way to kind of break up your lecture if you're still tied to that
3: mm-hmm. yeah so that that'll be our next episode that's gonna be episode nine for us so we're going to talk about making kids active participatory and generally doing uh, being involved in history
0: now ryan if i remember from this weekend there was a threshold we we had to get to a certain number before we uh yes it's
3: somewhere between seven and ten i think is before you we uh before you make it a, we make it a habit and i think we're there i feel like we're there it's more of a state of mind i'm thinking right now because how about you guys are you feeling
2: good? <laughs> yes. Awesome, I, hey, man! man it, for those of you who who weren't here with the with the live feed here, I mean, I managed to make it. You know, the dojo with the kids and the car ride home and parking nice. and getting in. I feel like I I was a warrior today. I, <laughs> I was
0: thinking about that, Amy. That was incredible because you didn't sound like you were going anywhere, and I just I went back into this hangout and looked, and all of a sudden I was like, well, she's home.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So for those for those of you guys not uh, who weren't aware of that, yeah, Amy did this in multiple locations. She she did it. <laughs> In driving around town, there's a few times I heard the turn signal on, but uh, it really demonstrates about that. You can have conversations absolutely anywhere. And Amy, let me know if you are okay or not okay at this. But I did a, I took a screenshot of our Google Hangout at one point with you talking because I want to use this because I just want to show how amazing, it's amazingly simple and cool it is that you could do a podcast even from the car. Yeah, just I don't get me you. arrested, okay? I'm not arrested. <laughs> I'm just, I'll use a different name. I'll use a random name, like Chris Hitchcock or something like that. I'll just
2: pick Nice. <laughs>
3: awesome. oh, all right, thanks, everybody. That was a fun show. So, like we said, next time, episode nine, we're going to be talking about doing history. And I think this one's in the can.
0: Sweet. We're
3: Sweet. done. So, all right. See everybody. This you've been listening to Talking Social Studies.